0: Uh, I've really enjoyed this series. I've enjoyed it personally and uh, I've said for a number of years the teacher gets far more out of the lesson than the people listening to it and uh, that's certainly been the case with me with this material that we've been teaching to be made whole and uh, I'm all about the people of God being everything that God wants them to be. I would like for everyone that attends Grace Church to be the totality Of God, what God wants you to be. And we do our best to not only teach that, but to create an environment where that can happen. And uh, so sometimes it takes a lot of teaching, sometimes it takes a lot of training, sometimes it takes a lot of discipline and accountability and responsibility. Jesus never said serving Him and becoming what He wants you to be would be easy. But the reward of it is out of this world. Amen. So. So let me go through our, our principles that we've taught one every Wednesday night. Let me go through them quickly. Principle number one that we started with is to realize that I'm not God. I still remember that lesson. And uh, to realize that I'm not God, I admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my life is unmanageable. A lot of people don't feel that way until we ask a few questions. And then you suddenly realize that, yes, I'm not as nearly as in control of my life as I thought it was. Principle number two is to earnestly believe that God exists and that you matter to him. God does exist and you count. You matter to God. And that he has the power to help you be what he wants you to be. Number three is to consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. Number four is to openly examine and confess my faults to myself. Confess them to God and to someone that i trust got a lot of feedback after that bible study that night principle number five is to voluntarily submit to every change god wants to make in my life voluntarily submit to every change that god wants to make in my life and humbly ask him to remove my character defects if you were not here that wednesday night a couple wednesday nights ago if you were not here i'll i'll ask you fervently i beseech thee therefore brethren That you listen to that on podcast? Uh, Verily, verily, I say unto thee. uh, Listen to that. Uh, Principle number six, evaluate all of my relationships. Offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me and make amends for the harm that I have done to others. That was last Wednesday night. Tonight I want to read from Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. We're using the Beatitudes as a basis for this study. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the troublemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. One of the greatest attributes of God himself is peace. He doesn't come to bring strife and conflict. He comes to bring peace. One translation said, Happy are those who work for peace. Our principle tonight, I just shared with you the others that we've talked about. Our principle for tonight is to reserve a daily time with God for self-examination. We just stop right there. Don't reserve a time every day with God for the examination of everybody else you know. God already knows the shape they're in. You don't have to remind him. God, I'm praying for my husband today. You know as well as I do, he's an idiot. He needs help. God knows that. Y'all get that point? What you need to do is admit that you're one, too, and ask God to help you, too. Okay, that's the point we're making here tonight. This is one of those very substantial all-about-me prayers. Reserve a daily time with God for self-examination, Bible reading, and prayer in order to know God and His will for my life and to gain the power to follow His will. Jesus said in Mark chapter 14, watch ye and pray. Watch and pray. Why? Lest you enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. When Jesus said watch and pray, he didn't mean occasionally. He didn't mean when times are rough. He means consistently. Watch and pray consistently. Okay. We've been talking in this series about coming out of the dark. Exposing our problems to the light of God's love and watching Him heal our habits, our hurts, our hang-ups that have messed up our lives. Tonight, I want us to take our becoming whole in God one step further. And that's by answering this question. Listen very carefully. If you've gained some momentum in your relationship with God, how do you maintain it all of us who are married or at one time in our life have been happily married remember the honeymoon they might remember the honeymoon phase of the marriage marriage is when a man and a woman come together in holy matrimony and they supposedly love each other and okay and then they Go on a honeymoon. Does anybody remember that? Should I start asking you personally, publicly? Brother James, do you remember your honeymoon? You better say yes if you want a place to sleep tonight besides outside. Davin, you remember? I ask him all the time, "Are you married? Are you happily married, or just married?" Because they've been recently married, so just want to know if it's still happily or not. Because sometimes the happily goes away. Has anybody ever experienced that phenomenon in marriage? I got more response over that than I did the honeymoon thing. Okay, we we need to do some counseling here. It looks like. Uh, Anyway, everybody knows about the honeymoon that you're on when you first get married, and, you know, he or she can do no wrong, and they're just adorable, and every little twitch and blink of the eye is adorable and sweet and cute and all that, but when you've been married for 452 years, that stuff gets on your nerves after a while. You know, the way they smack their lips and get food down their mouth, it was cute when you were dating and when you first got married, but now it's disgusting. I could go on and on, but you get the point, okay. Something similar happens oftentimes in our relationship with God. We get on a honeymoon with God, and everything is great. Everything is, you know, the the bubble is on the level. Couldn't ask for life better, and then something happens. We're not snatched back into reality. We're snatched back into humanity where somehow our weaknesses rise to the surface more than god's empowerment the joy of the holy ghost turns into human sadness the same thing happens when you go to a new church such as grace church you'll get on a honeymoon with it but after a while the pastor hurts your feelings brother merrill does it all the time to everybody that's what you have said he didn't say that you have said no i'm kidding but, uh, but sooner or later, somebody's going to rub you the wrong way and you're going to get your feelings hurt and I want to leave and go to another church and all that. Everybody's on a honeymoon. Okay. If you're making progress and you're happy about the progress that you're making, how do you maintain it? How do you keep it going? I want to pound this nail tonight as hard as I can about how do you maintain momentum when you go through very difficult and very challenging times as some of you are right now. I want to be straight up and honest with you. I can only think of one time when God turned the devil loose on somebody in the Bible. And that was Job. And he wreaked havoc in his life. Virtually everything else comes from God. And so it's hard sometimes not to point a finger heavenward and say, why can you explain this to me and help me understand it a little bit better? So things happen and you get some momentum going. I know from a pastor's point of view, I was just a a couple of months ago, man, it's just like we'd battle through some things here at Grace Church and got some momentum going. And it's like you just grab it momentum or your, your, excuse me, your vision and bringing it to fruition And you grab it and you just shove real hard one more time and there it goes. And then we get the great flood. So here we are, some of us back at square one and wondering where God is. Okay. The fact is, the fact is this, that spiritual growth is not easy and neither is it always smooth. And I want everybody to understand that. God never promised you a tiptoe through the tulips. And if some preacher told you that, he's a liar. Because the Bible doesn't tell you that. He never said it would be easy. Life is not always easy. And spirituality, unfortunately, is intermingled and interwoven with life. You don't step out of living to get spiritual. You don't have an out-of-body experience and your body goes through all the horrible and your spirit is up there floating around with Jesus somewhere. That doesn't happen. I'm being real honest here tonight. Spiritual growth is not smooth and it's not always easy. Becoming what God wants you to be is sometimes jagged. And for most people, for most people, the huge majority, spirituality and the growth of spirituality is oftentimes two step forward and one step back. It isn't easy. And it's oftentimes easier for Christian people, and I'm going to be real specific here tonight and talk about Grace Church. Sometimes it's real easy for Grace Church attendees and its members, and even its leaders, to fall back into some self-defeating pattern of behavior. It's real easy for that to happen. Human nature gives in real easy to negative. It does. It takes a lot of willpower. It takes a lot of God's power to determine that I'm going to fight this fight and I'm going to run this race and by the help of God, I'm going to win it. So when you do the one step forward, two step back, it's called a relapse. It's called a relapse. It's the same thing as the alcoholic going back to drinking. It's the same thing as the overeater gaining all of their weight back. I heard somebody say not too long ago that any diet works. Virtually all diets work. If you cut down food intake and exercise a little bit, that's pretty much for most people a no-brainer. And we get all hyped up. You know, we're going to lose 402 pounds by the end of next week. And we run our brains out and we don't eat nothing but bean sprouts and alfalfa weed or something and we lose all that weight but it's hard to maintain the momentum keep your clothes you're gonna need them in three months go ahead and buy your new wardrobes or keep the one you got trust me (laughs) took pants to the little my little alterer guy that does alterations and had the waste taken up and took them back a year later and had them laid out again. He just kind of looked at me and smiled, but he was nice. But it's a gambler going back to the casino. It's a workaholic filling up his schedule again. If we're not careful as humans, we tend to repeat the patterns of our past. It's easy to slip back into the old hurts, the old habits, and the old hang-ups. I want to say real plainly here tonight, because I don't want anybody to misunderstand, and this really applies to marriage. You'll be an idiot in your marriage forever until he or she leaves, and then all of a sudden we want to repent and be the knight on shining armor and the white horse and all of that, and we get the spouse back and we go right back to being an idiot. Why is that? Because it's the tendency of human nature to do that. Human nature does that. Yes, it does. You have to learn how to maintain momentum while not falling back into a relapse. And it's not easy. It takes discipline, accountability, and responsibility. It takes closeness to God, a steady diet of the Word of God. You go to a marriage counselor until your teeth fall out and you're 403 years old. It's not going to do one ounce of good until you look in the mirror and say, Hey, buddy, you're a jerk and you got to change. I'm trying to help somebody here tonight. am I too plain and crude all right let me talk to you about four backward steps that people do four backward steps and it's funny because we have a tendency to relapse and you know we make these determinations and commitments and all the kind and we relapse and it's going backwards but you know how hard it is to walk backwards you got to think about to walk backwards you can fall down real easy walking backwards but Humanity has a propensity to do that when it comes to the things we're talking about tonight. All right. Relapse has happened in a very predictable pattern with four steps. Number one is complacency. Things get going pretty good in our life. You know, we're making a little stride here. You know, we've got a little momentum going, that little honeymoon thing I was just talking about. And then all of a sudden we get complacent. Everybody say complacent. You start getting comfortable. Listen to Pastor tonight. I want everybody to listen you start getting comfortable with short-term gains instead of long-term changes. As long as I get back what I've lost, then I don't have to change. You don't have enough foresight to think down the road three or four years that you're going to be right back in the same boat that you were just in, and you're going to lose all that again. You reach a point after a while where you cannot be satisfied or comfortable with short-term gains. There has to be long-term changes. You say... I don't need any more help. My pain has been reduced and I can live with it now. And I know people that do that all the time. They settle for the status quo. And they never develop into that person that God really wants them to be. God helps them a little bit and they feel better about themselves. But it's not enough. If you have surgery on your shoulder, one day at the therapy clinic ain't going to fix the thing, man. You got to go until the therapist says, okay, you're good now. And sometimes it's several months. And it hurts every time you go. I'll never forget when Sister Murphy had her surgery on her shoulder. The doctor told her that when you go to therapy, you're going to hate my guts. And he was pretty much right. And she repented. And, uh, but she went. She came come home with tears streaming down her face. It was brutally painful. Shoulder was black and blue. But she didn't quit. She was not happy with a short-term gain of just using that arm just a little bit. She wanted full use of it. Full use of it. Folks, listen to me spiritually. You cannot be contented and comfortable with short-term gain. You can't get complacent. You have to see this being made whole. You have to see it all the way through to the end. If you don't, it's called abortion. If you stop the process in God's life, it's been aborted. You've terminated that life-giving flow into your life. You've aborted it. Through complacency, the second step we take backwards is confusion. You start rationalizing. You know you've made some some short term gains, some short term gains, and you're doing pretty good. The marriage is a little bit better, and you're feeling a little bit better about God. And you're feeling pretty good about your church and what have you, and 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 all of a sudden you start thinking that <laughs> maybe my problem wasn't as Bad after all, and maybe I can handle it more myself now. Maybe I can take a hold of this myself and and work it out myself and so on. And then you start developing selective memory. You forgot the days a few weeks ago or a few months ago where it was horrible. But because God has helped you a little bit, you're feeling better. Now you start thinking, well, it wasn't as bad as I thought. Then you get confused about it. It's a step backwards. You have to keep a clear vision in reference to where you were and where you're going. Where do you want to be? Where do you want to be in life? Where do you want to be in your relationship with God? The third step backwards is compromise. We oftentimes will revert, revert back to that place of temptation. The risky situation that got you into trouble to, to start with. I've seen it, folks, I've seen it all of my life. Especially since being a pastor is people will do real boneheaded things man it gets them to a whole lot of trouble and then you know god helps them and the church helps them and pastor helps them and all of that and they and they get up and running again and and but they start flirting with the same temptation again thinking you know what i got away with it one time i can do it again you know what i call that just real plain and real brother murph's real plain and blunt way that's stupid that's what i call that So you start thinking that it really doesn't matter whether it's the bar, the casino, the mall, or the refrigerator. Whatever the problem is, we have a tendency to want to compromise and we go right back to that place of temptation. Playing with temptation is always a losing game. And then the fourth step backwards is catastrophe. It's where the bottom falls out. I've seen it happen to you folks. I've, 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 I've helped and guide you folks and coach you folks through some stuff. Some of you, like right now, catastrophe happens. You give in to your old habit or the addiction comes back. You give in to your old hurt and the resentment comes back. You give in to your old hang-up and the insecurity comes back. You need to understand that the collapse, just because you fall off the wagon, just because you collapse is not a relapse. The catastrophe is not when the relapse happens. The relapse started much earlier. The catastrophe is simply the result of the pattern that you've already initiated in your mind. I'm trying to help somebody here tonight. When God begins to work in our life and the church begins to work in our life, follow, folks, you have to follow the process through. You can't reach a point where you feel better about yourself and then make an exit from this path that God has you on. I'm going to tell you where the path ends. You want me to tell you where it ends? is when you hear the pearly gates click behind your heels. And when that happens, then you can relax and breathe easy and say, I made it. But until that happens, we all have a long ways to go to be like Him. And we have to work at it every single day. Every day. There's not a cruise control in spirituality. There's not autopilot in spirituality. We have to work at it every day. So what causes us to relapse? We, we know, you know, it, I want to ask this question. Why? Even when we know the right way to go and the right thing to do, we tend to go back and do what's wrong. It's funny with our parents here tonight, especially if you still have your kids at home, you look at them in amazement when they do that. You knew what you were supposed to do, and you knew when you were supposed to do it, but you did the wrong thing. But we do the same thing in our relationship with God. Yes, we do. There are several factors that cause a relapse. I'm trying to help somebody here tonight. What causes a relapse? Number one is when we revert to willpower instead of God's power. You back off of your prayer life. You back off of fasting. You back off of reading the Bible. You know, the great flood of 2016 has knocked a lot of us out of our prayer life and our Bible reading schedule and all that and just kind of forgot about it because we have this huge distraction in our life called rebuilding a flooded-out home. And it's a distraction that no one needs, but it happened. But that's not a reason to set aside spiritual growth, God consciousness. It's not a reason to set all that aside. And we have a tendency sometimes to revert back to our own willpower. I know what to do, and I can handle this. And I don't have to talk to God today, and I don't have to read the Word of God today, and I don't have to do all these spiritual disciplines. I don't have to do that. I can, I can do it myself. Paul wrote to the church in, Galatians, in Galatia, chapter 3, verse 3. Listen to the Scripture. He said, Why are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? You are now made perfect by the flesh. How can that happen? It can happen. What God begun in you spiritually, you cannot complete it without Him. You can't, come, I don't care how much you know. You're still going to have to have the power of God working in your life. Everybody said, Amen. One translation said, How can you be so foolish? You began by God's Spirit. Do you now want to finish by your own power? Isn't it human nature that just as soon as I let God make some changes in my life that I want to take credit for it? Look what I did. I quit smoking. Did you? Or did God deliver you from that? You see what I'm saying? God, uh, you know, I saw this in the Word of God. Did you see it or did God show it to you? Somehow we want to start taking credit when we start feeling better about ourselves. I'm talking, I'm, I'm trying to Tried to help somebody. I soon revert to my own willpower, and of course it doesn't work. If it did, I would never have developed the problem I was having in the first place. It took God to get me over that threshold of getting the problem eliminated or solved, whatever the problem was that we were facing. It took God's empowerment to get us to a point where we could be what He wants us to be, and then how can we all of a sudden take the credit for it? And if your willpower worked, how did you get in that problem to start with? I have a few successes in my life, and suddenly I think I'm all-powerful and all-knowing. It's about then I need someone to say, are you kidding? You're just you, and you can't handle everything by yourself. You've got to have God in your life. God will let you relapse until you realize that you can't live your life on your own. He'll let you fall until you say, God, I can't do it. God spoke through Zechariah when he said, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but, says the Lord of hosts, there's just some things we can't do on our own. We got to have him. Got to have him. Second thing that causes uh, relapse, reverting back to our old way, back to the problems and difficulties not having a clear bead on who we are and where God wants us to go and what we're supposed to do and all that, is when we ignore God's process of recovery. There's folks sitting in this room tonight, God has kindly and mercifully and profoundly put His arms around you. He's taking you by the hand. And He's leading you not only as a person, but as an individual on a process of success. He's leading you through a process to be successful. He's helping you with your marriage. He's helping you as a parent. He's helping you spiritually. But oftentimes, we get to a point where things are going pretty good in our life, and all of a sudden, we don't need God anymore. I can handle this from here. I can take it from here. God, thanks for your help. To me, it's almost like, and I'm going to get into this in a minute, but we have folks here tonight that's, that's battling cancer, and, and I'm sorry. And I would to God that he would heal you. But doesn't it sound pretty crazy for the doctor to show you an x-ray or a CAT scan or whatever that there's this tumor on the inside of you, and that certain amount of chemo and radiation will shrink it, and we can get a, a, a handle on this, and you do half of it and quit? So I don't need you, doc. I can handle it from here. It's funny we don't do that physically, but we sure do it spiritually. Sometimes we get in a hurry on our road to spirituality, and we want to skip a difficult or uncomfortable step. Paul said, you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? You were doing good at one point. So what happened that you quit being what God wanted you to be? What happened? There was a relapse, and you started ignoring God's process in your life. I talked to you last week about making amends to those people that we've hurt and, and forgiving people and let them forgive you and so on. It's difficult and it's, un, it's uncomfortable, but it's a part of the process. It's something we all have to do, but we, we need to take all the steps or the process doesn't work and there's no quick fix. You didn't get into this mess overnight, and you're not going to get out of it overnight. So the Beatitudes gives us a biblical process to be whole in what God wants us to be. But we have to make the choice to follow through with it. What causes relapse? Number three is trying to recover without support. I want to tell you folks something. It's hard to fight life and all the battles and problems we face in life without help. I, I know it's some of us reek with pride and we don't need any help. I know people that don't need help. You know, your marriage is horrible, but you don't need a marriage counselor. I can handle it. I have a problem with gambling, but I don't need to get any help with that. I can handle it. Well, if you can, why don't you? Is laziness now a factor? I think you just need to go ahead and admit it's beyond your control and you need help from somebody. But it's trying to recover without support. The Bible said, the wise man said, Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, two are better than one. Why did you think God said in the very beginning that it's not good for man to be alone? (laughs) There's some wisdom in that. I don't know, there may be some men here tonight that think they might be better off if they were, you know. But you're not. You're really not. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Two are better than one. People say, I'll just get well by myself and I don't need anyone else's help. You're you're asking for a relapse. You can't conquer your problems alone. There's folks that have childhood issues. The list goes for days. The list of things that we face and the battles we fight and issues with our parents, issues with siblings, issues with friends, issues on the job, issues with habits, issues with marital relationships, on and on and on, whatever the problem goes, whatever you want to put in that blank. And for somebody to say, I can can do this by myself, (laughs) you can't. I've found that out personally many times. The hard way is when you go through a tough situation, who do you call? Sometimes I want to say, you know what, you've indicated that you're a big boy. I mean, you're a big girl and what have you. Handle it. You know everything. You can do anything. Handle it. The point is, is that we can't. And we've got to have God in our life and we've got to have him in our life in a real way. And there's folks just this year at Grace Church who's faced some realities in your life. You wouldn't be here right now if it wasn't for the power of God in your life. He's getting you through it. It's not easy, and it's not comfortable, but you're here right now to fight another day. Everybody say amen. The Bible said in Hebrews 10, I've literally heard people say that I don't need church. I go, but I don't need to. Really? You'd be surprised at how many scriptures in the Bible teach us to be faithful to the house of God. One day we might do a Bible study on that. Because the reason you need to be faithful is because there's people here that need you. And you need people that are here. Listen to the scripture that we can all quote. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as a manner of some is. Why? Because we assemble together to exhort one another. We assemble to be in the presence of God and to help each other out, to keep each other oriented, to be accountable, to be responsible. When you start dropping out of church, you have no one to be accountable to. That's why it's imperative that we're faithful to the house of God. You can see short-term gains in your life without involving other people. But you cannot have long-term recovery without relationships in your life. And oftentimes, the root of the problems that we face in our life are relationship-based. It's either the lack of a relationship or the lack of or are in the middle of a poor relationship. And you don't feel accountability. You don't feel responsibility. You have no motivation to do better. And that includes Jesus. When you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. There will come a time when you'll need him. And the Bible teaches that. You know, it's, folks, in, in the recovery process, is, uh, it's kind of like driving a car at 60 miles an hour and taking your hand off the wheel. You may not crash immediately, but eventually it's coming. Do I need to persuade anybody at that point, or do you just believe that at face value? I'll tell you what, why don't you get on the interstate tonight going towards Hammond, I-12, and put your car on cruise control at about 75 and let go of the steering wheel and just close your eyes and see what happens you might go a half a mile but you're not going to go 10 i can promise you you won't go 10 you won't make it five you're going to run off the road and you're going to hit somebody or something and it's going to be re- this is what we do in our relationship with god in our relationship with church we start feeling better and say we can stop here no you can't it's like taking your hands off the wheel you're going to crash. You'll crash. Eventually, you'll crash. There's people tonight that have done it. You've, you're a living, breathing testimony of what I'm talking about, and, and you come back. There's a lot of folks here that took your hand off the wheel, but you came back, and God restored you, and He's restoring you now. We need to listen to this tonight. You can't choose your own way, you have to have God working in your life. What causes relapse, number four, is becoming prideful. Pride goeth before destruction pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall we need to stay humble or eventually we stumble pride gets us in all kinds of trouble pride will blind you to your weakness pride will prevent you from seeking help pride prevents us from making amends with other people pride causes us to blame other people for our problems the bible said wherefore let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall." The secret of, a, of this process of spirituality, the secret of lasting recovery is to live with humility. It's the best protection against a relapse. I don't have it all together, but I'm in the process of getting it all together. Stay humble about it. It's okay to say I don't have a perfect marriage. It's okay to say I don't have perfect kids. It's not an excuse to quit. It's not a reason to quit. But it's okay to admit it and say I'm doing the best I can. Nobody... Well, you know what? Here's, here's the beauty of grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God covering all of our faults and what have you. But grace makes us perfect according to God's plan, not because we're perfect in and of ourselves, but it's grace that does it. So we can be perfect according to His plan as long as the grace of God's work in our life, and it can't unless we're humble about it. The greatest weakness in our lives is oftentimes our unguarded strength. You need to think about that. So how do you prevent it? How do you prevent a relapse? In our text, Jesus tells us that it's human nature to have a relapse, to go back to things that mess us up even though we know they will mess us up. We'll go ahead and do it anyway. It's human nature to let old habits, hurts, and hang-ups come back to haunt us. And that's why the the, the Word of God gives us these safeguards. How do you prevent a relapse? How do you stay on top of your game? How do you stay on this road to being what God wants you to be? How do you stay on the honeymoon? How does it stay real and fresh? Number one is you have to do daily evaluation. Evaluate yourself. Look at yourself in the mirror. Listen, Pentecostals. One of the harsh byproducts of our holiness standards is judgmentalism. We've been taught so many years on how to live exteriorly, if that's a word, It's not it is now. For God, it's all based on how we look. And it's caused us to be judgmental. And it's easy to say, well, I do this, and I do that, and I don't do this, and I don't do that, but boy, they sure will get on Facebook. And there you go. It happens all the time. God never intended for His holiness to give anybody a judgmental spirit. And we're never holy on our own. It's only because of him. But here's what the Bible says that we should do is evaluate ourselves. In Second Corinthians thirteen five, the Bible said, Examine yourself. Not everybody else. Examine yourself. In Brother Murph's crude, harsh way, I'm gonna say it, and I say this all the time Examine yourself when it comes to other people, just keep your dumb mouth shut. You can't help the way people live anyway. Especially when you struggle with it. How can you get the beam out of your own eye? Remember that verse Jesus talked about? You want to get the beam out of your brother's eye, but you got a moat in your eye. How can you do that? You, get, you take care of yourself first. Clean up your own backyard kind of thing. All right, examine yourself whether you be in the faith. You need to make sure you're still in good standing with Jesus and then prove yourself, the Scripture says. Know ye not your own self, how that Jesus is in you, except you be a reprobate? Pretty strong language, Second Corinthians 13, 5. Lamentations 3, 40 says, let us search and try our ways. So there's four areas of our life that we need to examine every single day. Listen to pastor. Number one is our physical body. What is your body telling you? Is it a barometer for what's happening on the inside? In, in a lot of cases, it is. But it's always interesting to me as to how much emphasis we put on our physical body than we do on the next three areas of our lives that I'm going to talk to you about right now. We'll go the doctor over the least little old flimsy thing going on with our body, but you can be an emotional wreck and not do anything about it. And wonder why people don't like you. I'm trying to help somebody here tonight. So you need to do some physical inventory every day. Number two is emotional. Am I allowing my true feelings to surface or am I just denying my true feelings? Denying your feelings is like shaking up a cold bo- a Coke bottle with a lid on it. As soon as you take the top off, have y'all ever wondered why it is that the Dr. Pepper two liters always spew out when you open them and other two liters don't have a tendency to do that as much? I noticed it one time, I, but that's just me, so anyway. All right. Let me give you an acronym for the word heart here tonight. This is pretty cool. This is examining your emotional self. Number one, am I hurting? Are you hurting over something? Has somebody hurt you? Have you hurt yourself? Have you disappointed yourself? Have you let yourself down? E, in the word heart, is am I exhausted? Am I angry? Am I resentful? Am I tense? If you feel these things, you have some emotional issues to deal with. It's okay. Emotional issues is like a backache, man. If you have a backache and you go to the chiropractor and get an adjustment, and okay, go talk to somebody. Come talk to me. <laughs> I'll help you. I have some neat ways of addressing things. I'll try to help you, but there's people that can help you. Invest in yourself. God, study the Word of God. Let the Word of God work in your life. Number three, the, second, the third area you need to do inventory on every day is your relationships. Am I at peace with everybody? Listen to pastor tonight. Do you realize that you let some people live in your head rent-free? They hurt you 20 years ago and live 1,000 miles away. But every morning when you wake up, boom, there they are. They're in your head for free. And they don't even know they're in your head. You moved them in, but not with their consent. You're preoccupied with it, and it's controlling you. Those thoughts are literally controlling you. The fourth area that we need to evaluate is spiritual. And this is probably the one that's the most neglected. Am I maintaining a close and open relationship with God? You need to be honest about that. Are you? You're the only one that can answer that question. We have prayer times at Grace Church. We have altar times at Grace Church. You can evaluate, but it's better to do it at home. And you don't want to run a long inventory with God when it comes to spirituality. Don't let sin pile up. If you have to ask him every three or four seconds to forgive you for something, do it. Don't let that pile up. There's no reason for you to pack that around. He'll forgive. He's faithful and just to forgive them that ask him. And there's no number or no quantity attached to that. so when do you need an evaluation you need to confess your failures but you also need to celebrate every victory so every day that you live every hour that you live victorious celebrate it i'm going to go off into something a little bit weird here right now but but hear me out we need to practice spiritual breathing you know they say when you get really emotional to count to 10 and breathe you know breathe in breathe out breathe in count to 10 they'll kind of calm down a little bit there's a lot of merit in that There is. We need to learn spiritual breathing that's when you make a mistake you confess it you breathe out <sighs> Boy, i got that load off told god that then i'm sorry and point just just breathe <sighs> but when you receive god's forgiveness breathe back in and square your shoulders and put your chin up and keep going spiritual breathing you need to learn to do it do it on a moment by moment basis. A thousand times a day if necessary. It should become as natural as physical breathing. Keep short accounts with God. Don't let sin stockpile. How often do you need to take out the garbage at your house? Do you let it stockpile? Paul said, but let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not another. How do I prevent a relapse? I may believe in meditation. Um. I'm not talking about that the word meditation has been hijacked by all these gurus and seers and and all those people You'd be surprised how biblical the word meditation is and, and a lot of us don't know how to do it meditation is a great biblical principle it's slowing down long enough to hear god S- simple definition of meditation it's slowing down long enough to hear god do it in your car when you take a bath or a shower at night, just calm down and just meditate on God. Just think about Him. You say, well, that's weird. Why? I don't read anywhere in the Bible, that it? You have to be in a particular place and time in any certain posture. Anytime you want to open your mind to God, He's there and He's ready. Busyness, 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 running to and fro, to and fro, to and fro. You know, back in the 60s, if you could get 80,000 miles out of a car, you were doing good. If you could get 100,000 out of a car, you were doing good. But people have just gotten so busy that car manufacturers started making them where you can get two and 300,000 miles out of them because people never stop. There's people that live in our subdivision. It's like every time I walk outside, they're going somewhere. I'm like, do you ever stay at home? Why don't you even buy a house? Why won't you just buy you a camper? and just run to Walmart and just drive in circles in the Walmart parking lot for five minutes and go find another place to park and get out. Save gas. Just live there. Busyness is one of the devil's greatest tools. It's not always a sin, but it cuts us out of our relationship with God. It cuts us out of our time with God. Busyness does. We're always distracted, always got something to do. And these right here... Oh, my. A trick of the devil. Got to be. This is worse than television has ever been. Got the Internet and email. And, and even though people have these things transplanted onto their ear, it's a, glorif- it's a phone ring, no pun intended, instead of an earring. <laughs> a phone ring i made that up all by myself and people walk around all day long like this but when i call you you never answer (laughs) pastor never mind click busyness it stifles recovery it stifles growth and i want to tell you everybody in this building tonight needs to learn how to manage your time if you can do that life gets a whole lot easier but the devil fights nothing harder in my life than making sure i don't get time to spend with god He may not make you go shoot somebody and rob a bank, but if he can cut you out of time with God, he's got you where he wants you. So that's where it takes some discipline. Everybody said amen. Amen. You don't have time for Tuesday morning prayer, but you got time to go to Walmart on Tuesday morning? Huh? I have my faces too. You ain't the only ones. (laughs) I've got to hurry. I made a face at Joseph the other day, and he said, Oh, Papa, you look creepy. I'm <laughs> like, I don't have to make a face to do that. So. But here's some of the distractions the devil will use in our life, and I'm trying to hurry. Noise, crowds, hurry, entertainment, people, work, all these things. Just on and on and on it goes. The devil just throws stuff in our life, and they're not sin, but it's just cutting time away from God. Psalm one, I'm not going to read the whole thing because I'm out of time. But blessed is he that walketh in not in the counsel of the ungodly, and so on and so on. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and this is what he does. He meditates on it day and night. So there's something else in our lives besides laundry and the job and a marriage. And kids, oh goodness, kids. I hear people that have like 14 kids and they gripe about them all the time. Why'd you have them? You should have stopped at two. it too. It's common sense. Anyway, his delight's in the law of the Lord. And he meditates on him day and night, meditates. Thinks about it all the time, all the time. God is in the forefront of your mind all the time. I'm not a saint, neither am I an angel. But I can promise you. The vast majority of my day, God is included in every thought I think, in everywhere I go, in everything I do. I promise you that. I'd never want to go one place without him with me, ever. As a byproduct of that, he's like a tree planted by the rivers of water. You know why you're unstable? You don't meditate on God enough. You don't think about it. You don't have enough God time. You start getting some God time in your life, and you start getting stable, and you start experiencing some victories and so on. Okay. The key to spiritual growth is to have deep roots in the Word of God. David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart. I didn't just memorize them in my brain. as a lot of Bible quizzers doing it. It does them no good. They can quote it, but they don't understand it. They don't know what it says. They're just quoting words. Not all of them, but a lot of them. You need to get it down here. And it becomes a standard of which you operate your life and how you operate your life. David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart. That I might not sin against them." Listen to Pastor tonight. Watch the screen. If you know how to worry then you know how to meditate. You just start thinking about other things. Don't think about the worry box that I talked about Sunday morning. You start thinking about the Word of God box. Trying to help somebody. Conclusion. The third thing we need to do is to prevent a relapse is learn how to pray. You've got to pray. I had not done this in a long time, but the Spirit is moving. When I talk about prayer... I'm not talking about this Pentecostal, and I don't know who started it and where we learned it, of 35 minutes of Jesus, 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 Jesus. Or this, oh, God, I pray in the name of the heavenly Father, the glory of God, the heavenly host. I pray by the sword of the Spirit. You didn't say Anybody on board with me here tonight? I believe you all to talk to God like you talk to your friend. Not to your spouse, but to your friend. What if you walked up to your spouse? God was, God forbid, but if, if she's sitting right here, okay, we understand that. If I just walk up and go, feel, 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 feel. Oh, feel, 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 feel. Feel, 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 feel. Feel, 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 oh, feel, 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 oh. And we walk around and that we just prayed for an hour. You didn't do nothing. Not in my opinion, you didn't. We need to learn how to pray. You talk to God. And you learn how to have God talk back to you. You let Him talk to you through other people. You let Him talk to you through the Word of God. You let Him talk to you by putting thoughts in your mind. And this idea, and I've heard people do it all my life, people pray in the King James Version. (laughs) Thou Thou heavenly Father, thou art the greatest. Thy will. Who taught you that, man? Where does it say, pray in the King James Version? We don't even know who King James is. He's some dude that lived in England around 1600 and something. And we still want to talk to God like he did. Talk to God your way. You might as well. He knows you anyway. And he hears how you talk to other people. Don't talk to him like he's weird or that he can't understand. He knows his name and he don't need to hear you repeat it for an hour. You know, the back to this, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I can just hear going God going, what, 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 what. <laughs> and nothing's ever resolved. I can walk into Sister Murphy's office, Paula, Paula, Paula. She's going, what, 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 Paula, what, Paula what? Paula what? Paula what? Paula what? Paula what? And then turn around and walk out. And so I just talk to my wife for an hour. Boy, we're stupid sometimes, <laughs> I'm sorry, but, you know, this is just common sense to me. Talk to God. Tell him. And for some of you, he'll be the only loving father you ever had. And when Jesus said to pray the Lord's Prayer, he didn't want you to repeat it. It's a model. It's a model prayer, and it cultivates... the relationship and it helps you forgive other people and get other people out of the way so you can talk to God that's what it does trying to help somebody here tonight there's folks here tonight you've struggled all of your life and trying to even know what a relationship with God is there's folks you were told when you were a kid you need to receive the Holy Ghost you need to get baptized in Jesus name and that happened when you were eight and however old you were and People shouted, and jumped around, and they were happy. And, you know, the following week, your parents called all the aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas and so-and-so got the Holy goes. But nobody ever explained the significance. Nobody ever explained how to develop it. Nobody ever bothered to teach you how to continue that relationship with God and to keep it alive. And so you come to church, and we have these moments with God, and we have these emotional moments with God that are not always spiritual, We'll come up here and cry because we're emotional, but we don't always let God feed the spiritual man. We need to learn these things. And Pastor, I try to teach these things, but uh, there's a million things I'd like to teach. And it takes a long time to cycle back around all this stuff. But bottom line, I want to challenge somebody to get up tomorrow or even tonight before you go to bed. However, whatever mess your house is in when you get home, it doesn't matter. Kneel down somewhere. You don't even have to do that. Stand up. Go to the kitchen counter and pour you a glass of milk. And get you a chocolate chip cookie. Man, I don't care what you do, but somewhere in that mix of just being normal when you get home. Just stare out the window. Stare at the wall and say, God, I love you so much. Help me be a better person. God, help me. In my marriage, God helped me to be a better parent. That's all you've got to say. Just say it without pride. Don't try to hide nothing from God. The hairs on your head are numbered. Just try it. When you go into Walmart in the morning, turn the radio off. Turn off whatever station it is you listen to and put on some good Christian music. If there is any you can find. Or just nothing. Just say, God, come sit with me in this car for a few minutes. I want to talk to you. God, I'm fighting some things in my life, and I truly want to be better for my family. I want to be better for the kingdom. God, I want this relationship to continue, and you'll feel cold chills just all over you, man. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Would you raise your hand this time? There you go. Thank you. Look at all the people that does that in your car. And you're taking a shower. Say, God, talk to me right now. Don't have to be this long, drawn out three hours. You don't talk to other people like that. Talk to God the same way you talk to other people. Tell him how you feel. Don't use vulgarity. Don't use slang terms. Talk to God appropriately. You'll be surprised at how he responds to that. That morning does all this formal, traditional praying business that people have called prayer for years that's, divine repetition the bible talks about prayer just talk to god just talk to him you don't have to cry you can't you don't have to you don't have to squeal you don't have to scream you don't have to kick your leg you don't have to woo you don't do none of that. just talk to him just be normal and talk to him and see what happens I promise you it works i do it all day long works just talk to him that doesn't circumvent or take to replace travailing and intercession and all of that it doesn't take the place of that and there's times and places for that and i'm just trying to help somebody get started just talk to god travail and intercession and all that can come later just start the relationship and just keep it going every day don't go a day without saying something to god that's pleasant that's appropriate and what have you you'll see it makes a difference in your life all right i'm done stand with me i'm sorry i went over I've dismissed a few times early, and y'all owed me one anyway, so. But I thought it was good, man. I thought it was worth hanging around for. I think we might have helped somebody here tonight. I'm confident that that's happened. I hope you'll share your testimony with me. Thank the Lord. Okay, I've said enough. Y'all have got the point. God bless you. I love you all. Great church. Good church tonight. Brother Phil's dismissed already before everybody else, so the rest of you go ahead anyway. He's offended at me because, you know, anyway. God bless you. You're dismissed. We'll see you Sunday. Love you people.